Uh, so this morning we're going to continue, uh, and this will be kind of the final week of our family plan series. If you've been here over the past several weeks, uh, one one key point uh, that Pastor Mark has been making is that there is a plan for the family. There is a high mark, a high standard for what God uh, expects from us because he is a perfect God, an um, omnipotent uh, being that we cannot comprehend or fully understand, but he is perfect. He is Lord. He is creator. He is so far from us human, uh, frail people, uh, planet-living, breathing people. And so he is, there's just a big gap there between what he expects and what his plan would be for us and where most of us measure up. Uh, all of us measure up. Some could be here, some could be here, but the reality is no matter how good you are, no matter how much we think that we have done it right, we are still so far from God. And so one person said it like this, if you want to try to get to God on your own, you might as well try to climb a rope made of sand to the moon. We cannot make it to God. There is a significant gap there, but we know that Jesus Christ has filled that gap. His grace has forgiven our shortcomings. In fact, sin means missing the mark. If the mark is up here, we have just grossly missed the mark. And so he has covered that for us. He has forgiven us. He has offered his grace. He has extended his hand to say, you can be made right through my son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the one who fills the gap. But we're kind of left wondering, Okay, so I, I know the gap's there, and, and I know that God can forgive me, and he does forgive me, and his grace is extended, and, and Jesus fills the gap, so, so I don't have to do it on my own, but is that it? Is that, is that all there is? And so this morning will be maybe a little bit practical uh, in some ways of, of what would that look like uh, to, to fill that gap, or can we get any closer to reaching the mark and to reaching the ideal family plan that he can we can we do anything about that and the answer is uh, yes we can but it's still through Christ and so I want to just ask you a question when you when you set out to start your family or begin your family or maybe even uh, you 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 went in from uh, middle school into high school and so maybe you started thinking about the trajectory of your life and, and what things would be like in five years and in 10 years. And, and I would imagine that there's probably no one in this room and there was probably no one ever that went into those high school years or maybe even college years and, and started contemplating the things of the future and said, you know, what I would really like in life is, is I, I would love to stand at an altar somewhere and and say I do, and I, I commit my life to you, and I love you forever, only to be in marriage for three years, five years, ten years, and divorce that woman. That, that would be ideal for my life. I would love to be divorced. You know what, someday, I, I think it would be really cool to maybe, maybe grow up and, and get married and maybe have a few kids and, and then leave my family. And leave my kids without anyone to 
give them direction, to leave them without a father, leave them without a mother. I would really love to do that. You know, someday I would love to be so wrapped up in, in pornography that I, I can't even find my wife attractive anymore because I'm, I'm so engrossed in this fantasy world that nothing is even real in my relationship with my spouse anymore. And we have no intimacy and no real relationship, no openness, no freedom. I would love that. That would be anybody. That would be a great plan, right? No. No one plans that way. But the problem is that we are not intentional with what we do want. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few end up there on purpose. The plan that God has for your family and my family, the plan that God has for your life and for my life is completely possible, but it will not happen on accident. And so I want to read to you uh, the the foundational uh, scripture that we've been using through this whole series, and uh, it starts with Ephesians chapter 5, and we've been talking through, you know, different parts of this chapter all throughout the last several weeks, but I want to read to you from Ephesians 5 uh, verse 15, and this is what it says, be very careful then how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. And if we could go back to verse 15, be very, very careful. The careful, it means vigilant, thought through, methodical, intentional, having all the knowledge, the necessary things that we need to learn and the things that we have observed, have observed and what our experience has told us and what truth tells us. We, we are very careful. We bring all that to the table when we're making these decisions about the everyday things of life. Some wonder, how did I end up here? How did I end up where I am? How did our family end up like this? And the answer is it didn't happen overnight. It was one step at a time. One argument where we didn't apologize, and we went on and we tried to get over it. Nothing was ever said, and we carry that wound from that argument from that day forward. I don't really feel like listening to her today. I've had a tough day. I can't meet her emotional needs. Which in turn then, for the men in the room, her response may be, if he doesn't meet my emotional needs, I'm not going to meet his physical needs. There's another wall. We continue to build that. One step at a time, one decision at a time, one argument with your kids at a time, one disobedient act of your parents at a time. One step at a time, we end up everywhere where we never wanted to be. We never set out to be divorced. We never set out the home that was in constant turmoil and no one trusted each other and there was no real relationship there and we, we were confused and our home wasn't a place of rest, but it was a place that just stressed us out, a place that we didn't want to be. And so we then turned to our career or our job or other outside relationships for our significance because we're missing what we really, really want because we were not intentional. We were not very, very careful with the way that we lived. If we're not careful, 
our, our natural response will be to bend to the way of our culture, to bend toward the way of the world. Has anybody in here ever driven a car that was out of alignment? You can, go, you can raise your hand. I, li- I like to have interaction here. I'm a youth pastor. So you've driven a car out of alignment, and you're driving down the road, and you know that if you, if you were to just let the steering wheel go, or sometimes you might just kind of drive with one hand, you know, kind of on the wheel, it's not really like that when you're driving a vehicle that's out of alignment because there's a constant, you have to constantly pull to make the car continue to go straight because there's a natural drift that that vehicle has. There's a, a natural way to do that, and the reality is that we live in a broken world, and we are broken people, and because we are broken people, we will not drive straight unless we're intentionally pulling against where we're naturally bent to go. You walk into the mall. Anybody know the Cinnabon store? You know what I'm talking about in the mall? And there's just something about that. You open the doors of the mall and immediately, what is that? And you're just drawn. You just naturally gravitate. The, the Cinnabon store, there it is. There's a natural, you have to, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get the Cinnabon. I got to get rid of this weight. That's not healthy. That's not the, you have to constantly bend. You have to be very, very careful. We, if we are not careful, we will end up where we don't want to be and far from God's plan. So what is God's plan? What is God's plan for the family? God's plan for the family, God's plan for you and I is that we would be Christ-centered People. I want to read to you from the most Christ-centered book uh, in the Bible, and this is known um, throughout history and theologians and people who have studied the Bible. This, this book of the Bible, Colossians, speaks about Jesus more than any other book in the New Testament, and it's a very Christ-centered book, and it's all about the supremacy, the importance of Christ in our lives. And so I want to begin to read that uh, to you. So Corinthians, or sorry, Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised... To new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Why? Because that's where Christ sits, at God's right hand, in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about down here on earth. Don't get get distracted. The, The pull of the world. Don't get distracted by that. But keep your eyes on what is above for you died when Christ died man that is tough to hear like wait a minute I I died so in in my home I guess that means I'm not supposed to be selfish anymore how do I do that well in Christ because he died and we died with him but guess who raised back to life when he died Jesus, and he raised back to life, conquering the death in our life so that now he can live through us. Two lives cannot exist. They cannot cohabitate. Either we live or Christ lives in us, but not both. Either we die with him or we live And he lives, but not both. So if we died with him, then he was raised back to life in us. And so now he can work through us when we die to ourselves. And so therefore, 
our ability to be used by God, our ability to follow his plan for our life is directly related to the amount that we are willing to submit ourselves to him. Are we willing to lay down ourselves, our objective, our agenda, our selfish needs, our desires, but he made me mad, but she never, and he always, and my kids never will, nope, but Christ in me, but Christ in me. It's not about me. It's not about my selfish desires. It's about submitting myself, laying myself down, and becoming Christ-centered where he is my core. He is the center of everything I do, and my life is now a response to what Christ has done in my life rather than mere reactions to everything that goes on. We know in our world, man, we can react with anger, we can react with such selfishness and greed. That's our, our natural leaning. But when we fight against, we say, no, not what I want, God, what you want. God, live through me. What would Jesus do? The bands, they're out of style now. Nobody wears the WWJD anymore. But could it really be as simple as what would Jesus do? But not what would Jesus do, but Jesus do it through me because I no longer live. Jesus live through me. So for you died when Christ died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Is there more to that? Should have one more, I think. There we go. And when Christ, who is your real life, so your old life is gone. The old you is gone. We have a new life. We operate under a new set of principles, a new standard, which is we are dead and he's alive. Our new life, which is our real life, is revealed to the whole world when you share in all his glory. He is revealed in us. Why would he do that? I am nothing. I am not good. There is nothing cool about me. There is nothing right about me on my own. But when I die and he lives, I become a Christ-centered person. God's plan for our families is that we would be Christ-centered now, most, we would have the reaction to that, well, cool, I, I go to church on Sunday, I'm good to go, I'm a Christian. Well, let me just tell you that you, you and I know alike that we could go take a poll in Xenia today, we can go take a poll in the U.S. today, and 90% of people would say, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. Then they would proceed to tell you, I, I go to church I go to Mass. I, I try to treat people the right way. I, I try to I clean my act up. I'm, I'm good. That's not Christ-centered. And unfortunately, in our culture, I, I almost hesitate to even call myself a Christian. I would rather say I'm Christ-centered. I have a relationship with Christ. He lives through me. I'm not just a mere Christian as our culture would know it. 
I want my life to be Christ-centered. When people look into our homes, when people look into our lives, when they see how our families operate, would they look and see Christ or would they see you? Man, that, that family, man, they're just, they just don't seem like everybody else. Do you hear the way they talk to each other? Man, if my kid did that, I would just beat his butt, you know. But they, they're patient with their kids. What is this? They, they show love toward their children. And, man, they've been married for 20 years, but they, like, still hold hands and stuff. They act like they like each other a little bit. Man, it seems just, that man, that family, they, they're not caught up in, in what everybody else seems to be caught up in. They, they like, serve people, and they, man, they give, they give their money to, like, help the work of God. What, what is going on there? They're different. There's, there's something crazy about what is that? The only thing that would cause anyone to do any of those things is Christ. And we can try to manufacture those. Well, uh, Pastor said I'm supposed to give money. Here you go. At some point, you're going to get tired of doing that if it's you. But if it's Christ in you and you realize that everything you have belongs to him, oh, here you go. It's no big deal. When we're responding to who Christ is in us, we live Christ-centered lives. If you could put verse 1 back up there in Colossians, it says, Since you have been raised to new life, set your sights. That set your sights literally means or, or could be translated as seek to orient your life around Seek to orient your life around these heavenly realities. When you look up here, the focal point on this stage is the piano. Maybe you might see the drums. They're kind of competing a little bit here. But they're center stage. And so you see how this microphone here is spaced about the same amount from the piano as this microphone is spaced. Because the stage is oriented around center stage, the piano, the drums, what's happening here, and everything else flows from that. So when we think about our lives being Christ-centered or orienting our lives around these heavenly realities, we are putting in place the pieces of our lives, our schedules, our finances, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our kids, the way that we operate our home, the way that we make decisions, the places we choose to go, the places we choose to not go, everything in our life then builds off of the centrality and the supremacy of Christ in our lives when we become Christ-centered. Everything else flows from that. And so I would ask you in the last seven days, what would define your home? What would be the things in your home that would possibly take the place of what, where Christ wants to be? Center. Do our schedules dictate what everything else is built off of? Well, we'll, we'll attend church and let me just... Disclaimer here, 
There's nothing special or sacred in itself about coming to church on a Sunday morning because you're supposed to come to church. You don't get extra points in God's economy because you came and sat down in a seat somewhere in a building. That's, that's not really how it works. But when you come to church and you know that this is a place where you can have moments with God that can change you and he can challenge you and he can make you more into the person that he wants you to be and you have time with your family your brothers and sisters that you love, and you can all join together and say, God, you are amazing. You are more than amazing. And we can give of ourselves to him to highlight his greatness and how much we love him, how much we honor him. And then because of that and because us, because we are coming to a place where we realize who he is, then he can work in us because we realize that he is higher than we are and his ways are higher than our ways and he is big and we are small and he is good and we are not. That's what church can really be about. And then when you come to church, it means something. But I just wonder if we allow... Our schedules, well, we're, we have a really tough week. We're just really tired. Let's, let's not go to church. Or, you know, we've only, we've only been, you know, to five Bengals games this year. We should really try to go to several more. Well, church, it's okay. Well, the church will be there next week. Or we, we were out really late last night. We should probably just sleep in this morning. And for parents in the room, uh, grandparents, uh, whoever you might be that would have influence on uh, high schoolers or middle schoolers or younger children especially, if you continually put things in place of the worship of God on Sunday mornings, you're sending a very, very clear message to your children. You don't have to say it, but we would all like to think that our kids would do what we teach them to do. Our kids will not do what we teach them to do. Our kids will do what we do. We teach what we know, and it would be great, man. If they would, just, Let me just tell you everything I know and then do it. That would be great. We teach what we know, but we duplicate. We reproduce who we are. When we're leading kids, when we're leading people, they will begin to do the habits that we have and say the things that we have, and they will begin to prioritize their lives the way that we prior, prioritize their lives. So if we constantly put things and schedules and agendas in place of the worship of God on Sunday morning, we're sending a message to them. And if we constantly do that, but we never put anything else to the side for the worship of God, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're going we're gonna to go to bed early so that we can wake up because the worship of God is important. You're also sending a very clear message to your children that it's important. So this isn't a message to try to get you to come to church every Sunday morning. But that's just one example of how that Christ-centered idea can play out. What is, what is most important? What did we strive for as people or as families this week? And some, some would say, you know what, Every, everything probably in our home, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's designed around my career. And, and I know, kids, I, I haven't had any good time to spend with you, but I'm just... I'm just really trying to get this promotion, and I'm just trying to work this overtime so we can have a nice car sitting in the driveway. Maybe your last seven days revolved around what we look like in the eyes of other people. 
And so our kids really wanted us to play with them. And this is, this is one I wrestle with, by the way, because I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I just like for things just to look good. And if you came to my house right now, I would be embarrassed for one. But my yard is so far from manicured the way that I would want it to be. When you walk up the steps up to our house, you would see weeds in the flower bed instead of flowers. And it needs mulched. I haven't mulched it this year at all still. But unfortunately, not unfortunately, unfortunately for my yard, I have three kids under three. And they want me to play Legos when I get home. And so I can make the decision, is it, is it more important to me that you care what you you know, what my flowers look like or what my yard looks like when you walk up to my house? Or is it more important to me that my son Judah knows that when I get home from work, he's the most important thing on my agenda and I'm going to play Legos with him? Do we design our lives around making sure that we have a nice car, than every, a nicer vehicle than everyone else, and we have the status, and we ha- can afford nicer clothes than everyone else, and we can go on vacations and put pictures on Facebook so everybody can say, ooh, look where you get to go. Our lives revolving around what other people think of us. Do our lives revolve around us needing the approval of other people? And so because we long for the approval of others, we can't say no. And so we're running around all the time and we have to say yes to everyone's invitation to go to everything they want us to do and be everything they want us to be because we're afraid of what they may think of us if we say no. And so our lives revolve around our, our busy schedule and we have no margin and we're, we're tired and we're exhausted and then that makes us irritable with each other and with our spouse and with our kids and we're short-tempered and we're so worn out. What are we going to do? And we're so empty and then Oh, Sunday's again. I'm really tired. Let's just stay home. And it becomes a vicious cycle when our lives are oriented and designed around anything but Christ and his plan for us to be Christ-centered. Things do not go well. The gap gets bigger instead of smaller. But if Christ is the one who fills the gap, then wouldn't it make sense that we want to be with Christ in the gap? We want to be found in him. And he said that he went to be with the Father, and he is in the Father, and we are in him. That means that now we are in Jesus, and we are in Father. We have right relationship with God. We have right standing with God when we are in the gap with him because he lives through us. The gap closes Christ-centered lives. The trouble with Christ-centered lives is it's easy in our culture to be doers and to make things about us. And there's, there's a good part of our culture that, you know, if you, if you work really hard, you get rewarded. And if you work harder, you might get a promotion and you make more money. And, and all of that is, is great. But In God's economy, it can never become about us and what we can do and how we can better ourselves and move forward ourselves. But what we try to do is we try to put, okay, I got got to do this Christ-centered lives. That means I need to live exactly how Jesus lived and try to be exactly like him. Instead of him 
Okay, Brandon Hancock, some of you guys know him. He used to be our worship pastor here. He said something one time that just really changed the way I thought about everything. Uh, Christ does not want us to live for him. You're like, whoa, what do you mean? I thought, I thought that's what you're saying here. I'm supposed to live for Christ. No, Christ does not want us to live for him. He wants to live through us. And there's a major, major difference there. Because when we're just trying to do for somebody, we get tired, we get worn out, we fail, then we get down on ourselves because we failed and we messed up. There's no grace in that. There's no empowerment in that beyond our own human frailty. And remember, I'm not good. He is here and I'm here. We can't do it. So there's a big difference in trying to live the Christian life and live for Christ and letting him live through us. So when we try to live for Christ, we like to assign rules to things. You can't go here. You can't do this. Well, if you're a Christian, you have to do this and you have to do this thing. And this is so ingrained in our culture that it is so difficult for us not to then bring that into our churches. Well, if you, if you study really, really hard for the test, then you get an A. And that's good. That's fine when you're doing your homework. When you're taking the test. But when we bring that into our relationship with Christ or the church, and we try to put rules and marks to hit and things that we must do, we fall short every time. The standard is too high. And it's too high intentionally. God knew that we could not hit his standard. And until we come to the place where we know that we can't meet his standard, we will never acknowledge our need for Christ. Thus, we will never be Christ-centered. So when we put rules on things, we make it about us. And we are at the center instead of Christ being at the center. So what would it look like if, if you were a rules-centered Christian? One thing may be if you compare the way that you live to the way others live, then maybe your relationship with God is about you instead of about Jesus. When you compare the way you live to the, well, I'm not as bad as that dude over there. Come on, man, I put food on the table. I mean, there's, there's kids out there, they don't even know their dads. Isn't that good enough? We compare ourselves to others. That's a rules-based Christianity, and it's not real Christianity. It's not Christ-centered living. It may look like we often point out the flaws in other people. Can you believe she said that? What is wrong with her? Man, what is, what is wrong with this guy? He is an idiot. He is so stupid. Sounds like me when I'm driving. We point out what, well, if she hadn't done this, it's the blame game. Well, if he didn't do this, then I wouldn't have done. We compare. We point out the flaws in other people instead of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not any better. I'm not good either. I'm nothing without Christ. You can be better. 
You can make good decisions. You don't have to be the stupid one, the idiot that somebody else is talking about. You don't have to be the one to do that. But only when Christ is living through you. But without him, we're no better. So therefore, we have no place to speak about others when they don't do X, Y, Z. Do we point out the flaws in other people? Or are we forgiving? Are we gracious? Are we responding to the love and the grace that God has given us? Are we responding to who he has been in our lives? Are we responding to him? Or are we looking to others? They didn't do this. Well, I'm not as bad as them. If you're constantly down on yourself when you mess up, you may be a rule-centered person. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for the ones who find themselves in right standing with God. And make no mistake about it, you are not right with God because you're sitting here in church on a Sunday morning. We are not right with God because we're trying really hard. We're not right with God because I'm I'm trying to have a good family. I'm trying to be a good dad. I hope I go to heaven when I die. I'm trying to do I don't lie like everybody else. We are not right with God through any means of anything that we can do on our own. We are only made right with God because we confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And this is the, this is the cool part about this because it says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead. Had he not been raised from the dead, then he could not live in us. He would be dead. But because we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, we realize that Jesus is Lord. He is supreme. He is Lord. Everything is oriented around him. I'm not only saying it with my mouth and telling you all that he is the Lord, but he really is because I believe it in my heart and I make Jesus the center of my life. He is Lord and he is Lord because he was raised from the dead and now I can die and he can live. It's not about me. It's about him. He now lives in me. The other difficult part of this is that it's easy for us to just kind of go along to get along and to fall fall into that category of mere Christian. Not Christ-centered, but just a mere Christian. And so we can say that we're a Christian all we want, and I can say that I'm a duck all I want, and I can quack like a duck all I want, but at the end of the day, I'm just a weird person quacking. It doesn't make me a duck. The Christ-centered life makes you a Christian, not putting a title on yourself, not doing the things that we're supposed to do as Christians and Christian families in Christian homes. Are we Christ-centered? Has he been raised to life in us? Is he living through us? Are our lives designed around him or are they designed around ourselves? Some signs that we may not be living Christ-centered, but we're merely just quacking like a duck. You don't have some form of personal discipline. Personal discipline that would lead you toward Christ. Am I saying that you need to, personal discipline would be, I wake up at 7 every morning and I read a chapter of the Bible, or I spend 10 hours in prayer a day, or whatever 
spiritual focus thing that you want to put, something that draws you closer to God? Is there any discipline in your life? You don't have to wake up every single morning and do that. I'm not put. that's a rule that you're trying to get. You can't just put a rule there. But are you being intentional with building your relationship with Christ? Are we being intentional in our homes to lead our families toward Christ? If we're lacking in spiritual disciplines, maybe our lives are not designed around Christ. If we don't intentionally acknowledge God in daily life, something that we try to do uh, with, our, with our kids, and by the way, um, I, I had a hard time with this message because I have a full three years of parenting under my belt. I'm no expert, okay? But I'm trying to come from the perspective of being a youth pastor and seeing some of the homes that, that students come from and the things that they deal with and observing my family growing up, observing other families that I've seen. And so I think I can speak to it from that perspective. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to tell anybody here how to parent because I really, I, I don't know yet. I'm still figuring it out. But I think there, there are some things that we can kind of all adhere to. And when we're in this Christ-centered idea and this Christ-centered mode and we're in a Christ-centered way of living, then we can begin to know what to do after that. So uh, some of the things that we do, even with our little, our son that's about to turn three and our one-year-old and then our 10-week-old, we have three, under three, it's fun. Um, and so, but we're driving, and look, look at the beautiful clouds that God made, Judah. Look how awesome the sky is today that God gave us. We're sitting down to eat, and it may not necessarily have to be a let's pray for our meal now and let's fold our hands like this and let's bow our heads and pray we do that that's fine but also man god thank you so much for this food kids can you we have can you guys thank god with us that he gave us this food it's an ongoing acknowledgement of the working of god in our lives and in our families we may not be christ-centered if we don't notice if we don't notice the blessings of God in our lives, if we aren't continually grateful for who he is in our lives and how he's empowered us and how he's blessed us and what he's given. And last, if we have no hope or vision for what God wants to do through us, if we're just people sitting in pews, if we're just showing up, if we're just writing the check, if we're just doing the thing, we're just going through the motion, we're Christian, but we're not Christ-centered, we've lost vision and hope for what God wants to do in us. This church is not about the ministry of Pastor Mark Atherton or Pastor Nathan Chrisman or anyone else. This church is about a bunch of people who all have a ministry and have a purpose to fulfill in Christ Jesus. He wants to work through all of us. And if we've lost the sense of vision and hope of how God wants to live through us, maybe we're not Christ-centered. And that's a question, these are questions that we have to ask ourselves to evaluate. Am I intentionally moving toward Christ? Do I, do I have vision and hope for how God wants to use me, little old me? He wants to do extraordinary things 
through us to reach the world. We are his people. We are his sons and daughters. We are his families. What would it look like if our families, if we were raising our kids to be Christ-centered, to make him the supreme being, the supreme part of our lives where our homes and our lives were completely designed around Christ? What vision and hope we would have What vision and hope would we have for the future of how God wants to use us, how he wants to use our kids, how he wants to use our homes, how he wants to use us as a family? Today, the important thing for all of us is to not leave here, walk out the doors and think it's just another Sunday. It was an okay sermon the youth pastor preached today. I didn't really like the music today. It was a little, just kind of loud. It hurt my ears a little bit. And the lead singer guy they have until we get a worship pastor, he's just not very good. And I'm just kidding. This doesn't have to be typical. This doesn't have to be just Sunday church. In Joshua, it says, choose today who you will serve. Today is the time. Now is the time. Choose today to be Christ-centered, to die to ourselves so that he can live in us. Your home is not too far gone. You've not already messed it up. You can never turn back. You can never make it right. It's not too late. It's never too late. It's never too late with God. With him, all things are possible. He came that we may have abundant life. In him, there is hope. There is fullness of joy. There is vision for our homes. There is a vision for our lives. And when we just choose, it starts with one choice today. We choose that today, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord, the Lord who was raised from the dead, the Lord who was sent from God himself to make us right with himself. Jesus Christ, the one who is supreme, the one we center our lives around, the one that everything is designed around, that Lord we will decide today for me and for my house. It may just be one slow step at a time, one family prayer at a time, one moment where I don't get angry when I want to at a time, where I continue to submit myself to who God wants me to be, and I commit I, I commit myself to humble myself, to die to myself so that the bright light of Christ can shine through me to my kids, to my spouse, to the people I work with, to the people who come into our home and they say this place is different, to the people who observe us from the outside. They say that family's a little bit weird and different, but I like it because normal doesn't work. We we can live Christ-centered lives, and we can choose today that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that this whole thing doesn't ride on me. 
at the end of the day, I just get myself nowhere. I run in circles. I try really, really hard, but I'm just falling short. God, I pray that this morning we would be fully receptive to what you want to do in our lives. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. And this wouldn't be a message that was just spoken by youth pastor Nathan, but it would be a message that you are speaking to our hearts to choose today to serve you and that we would realize that you want to empower us and be our everything. This morning as we prepare for communion, I want to challenge you before you come and receive communion and if our servers could come before you receive communion this morning take a moment take a moment where you're sitting and tell God today God I I want to choose you and come to the table of remembrance, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and remembering that he was not only abused and mistreated and killed ultimately for us, but that he rose again. And because of his sacrifice and because of his body and his blood that was shed for us, we can live Christ-centered lives where it no longer depends on us, but it depends on him.